Please have your Bible ready from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. What is your first thought when you read or hear the word materialism? We may think, well, that's about people who are rich, who have far more than what I have, and who are inordinately attached to their riches. Along with that, when we come to passages in the Bible about wealth, warnings to the rich impulsively, we may skip those passages, thinking they are not addressed to us. Those warnings must be about people way above our economic level. I'll say about that, that kind of thinking is way off the mark of truth. It takes us away from applications and warnings we need materialism and greed, those things are not limited to people who are richer than we are. I think we can read the Bible and arrive at that conclusion. Materialism and greed are not sins that people commit who are richer than we are, that we are somehow exempt from. And to that, I will add, we are richer than some people, perhaps a lot of people worldwide. So, It is immature, arrogant, and personally harmful for any of us to dismiss what the Bible says about greed or materialism because of some judgment about economic level. Jesus wasn't speaking to a banquet of millionaires when he spoke these words, Matthew 6, 19-34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you consider with me from this passage not every detailed word and phrase and analysis, just three things. A contrast that provides perspective, an impossibility, and third, an uncompromising trust. I've relied on two primary sources to help me word some of this, Invitation to a Spiritual Revolution by Paul Earnhardt and the Sermon on the Mount, Exposition of Matthew 5-7 through 7 by D.A. Carson. Three things. First, a contrast with perspective. Listen to verses 19 through 24 one more time. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There is here a contrast that provides perspective. There is here the temporary, our present existence on earth. And there is the permanent, our future destination in heaven. The latter is more important than the former. And that's the perspective of this passage. I'm aware that this sounds oversimplified, but I'm seeing that on the page. There is the temporary and the permanent, and the permanent is far more important. The point here shouldn't be turned into an argument against bank accounts or savings accounts or investments, because Jesus expects us to be prudent and responsible to meet our family's needs the best we can. This is simple. There is the temporary and the permanent, and the permanent is far more important. When we consider our present existence on earth and we compare that to the future eternal destination we hope for, heaven is far more important. Thieves or rust or both may wipe out all my earthly holdings. Whatever those attachments or holdings are, success, tangible, intangible, earthly acclaim, all things are subject to loss, decay, and can't be packed up and taken to the grave or the judgment day. Jesus intends that we know the difference and get our lives founded on the permanent, the eternal. We've witnessed this past week a scramble in some cases, a frantic rush for water and paper products and groceries, some reports of hoarding and price gouging or extortion, lines wrapped around stores and shopping venues. 
Being prepared with prudence is one thing. But we've seen reports and maybe witnessed frantic, almost hysterical buying frenzies. The sum of that is people are worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow in the most immediate sense. In such a time as this, we need perspective, and this contrast puts that before us. There is the temporary, things subject to decay, that offer only temporary security. What's more important is our distant future. So lay up for yourselves treasures which are not time-limited. It is a contrast here designed to give us perspective. This doesn't mean take all your earthly holdings and assets and transfer them to your heavenly account. This is about knowing the difference between earthly things and heavenly blessings and devoting your heart and life to what we are certain will last, will go on forever after the earth is gone. Invest in what you know will not be subject to any form of decay. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. How do we do that? It starts with one's commitment to become a disciple of Christ. Then investing permanently in heaven means continuing to be a disciple of Christ no matter the earthly losses. You invest in the permanent when you read and learn about God and respond to Him. You invest in the permanent when you give God your mind, give Christ your obedience, and plead with sinners to believe and obey the gospel. You invest in the permanent when you read, study, pray, and formulate specific intentional change. You invest in the permanent when you worship, become involved in the Lord's work, serve others, encourage Christians, and take up every responsibility of life with the express purpose of glorifying God. Now remember... This isn't just for wealthy people. Every one of us need to look at this contrast and maintain perspective. There are temporary things. There are heavenly blessings. One is far more important than the other. And should the spread of human disease trouble us, one way to cope with that fear is lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. A friend of mine said the other day, stock up on what's eternal. Number two, there is in this passage an impossibility that is stated. You cannot serve God and money. You've heard this expression, the best of both worlds. I believe there is a powerful temptation to live a materialistic life and a spiritual life at the same time. In Paul Earnhardt's book, he writes this as the impossibility of divided loyalties. He describes the Pharisees who claim to be holy, deeply spiritual people in their strict way of life, but Luke 16, 14 says they were lovers of money. They were seeking that impossible option of the best of two worlds. Earnhardt says, it is just the kind of spiritual cancer which seems to live easily with a great display of piety. Jesus is telling the people and us, it cannot be done. No one can serve two masters. And that's worded in such a way, nobody can claim to be an exception to the rule. No one can serve two masters. Nobody. In some translations, you cannot serve God and 
mammon. That's the Aramaic word for riches or wealth. You cannot serve God and money or riches. What this affirmation leads to is a choice. Will it be money, material things, earthly treasures and assets, or God? Really, this passage in Matthew 6 puts on display the purity and simplicity of Christ and calls upon us to have clear vision and undivided loyalty to God. I'm quoting Brother Earnhardt again from his book, A Spiritual Revolution. Materialism has a ferocious appetite and will soon consume the personality which gives it an opening. Yet, when it finally rules without restraint, it brings no peace, nor satisfaction, no lasting happiness. God also desires to have us exclusively for Himself, and for our benefit, not His. Money will consume us, He will fill us. Men who have been made for God will know no peace apart from Him. So, the contrast gives us perspective. There is the temporary and the permanent. The permanent demands our greatest attention and energy. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And then number three, Jesus speaks of uncompromising trust in God. In our conversations and remarks about earthly life, especially about the difficulties and the hardships, we often say something like, trust in God. What does that mean? And is it just in hard times that we think of that and speak of that? In modern conversation, statements about trusting God are often too vague, a cliché, something that may not be accompanied by good practical definition. Well, start with verse 25 here in Matthew 6 to the end of the chapter. Matthew 6:25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why... Are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day 
is its own trouble. Now, two times in this passage, there is an important word, therefore. Some of you have heard me say for years, and it's not unique and original to me. When you find the word therefore in the Bible, look carefully in the context to see what it's there for. Not original with me, but that's important. It means a conclusion is about to be stated based on the previous material. So here in Matthew 6, what is that previous material? The previous material is there is a difference between the temporary and the permanent. The latter requires the greater attention. We cannot serve God and money. And so, what is the conclusion? Uncompromising trust in God. Part of that trust is conveyed with a phrase three times in this passage in the English Standard Version, do not be anxious. But in some of the other translations, do not worry. Now, I know that needs attention and clarity. There is something we often call worry that is really prudence, wisdom, and responsibility about the future. That isn't forbidden. It's part of responsibility. What is forbidden here is that grinding anxiety that defies trust in God, fear that consumes and distracts fretfulness over the necessities of life. Jesus wants us to put the permanent things of God on the top of our agenda. Don't even attempt divided loyalty. Trust that God watches and cares. Money and things can consume us. He will fill us if we'll be open to him and obey him and trust him. So this doesn't mean to be passive. This doesn't mean you'll be better off than your neighbor. This doesn't mean there will be no hardship since the Bible tells us that hardship and suffering can produce character. Romans 5, James 1, 1 Peter 1. It means there's no reason for terror, anxiety that distracts from obedience or taking your eyes off the final outcome for God's people. This passage calls for uncompromising trust. Three things. Stock up on things eternal. Put your citizenship in the kingdom first. All of that based on trust in God. Thank you for listening.